It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at Fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Julia! Oprah! Oh my gosh. How are oh, you? I miss you. I miss you too, honey. I do. Where are you? Mexico? I am. I'm in New Mexico. I'm in our little guest house that I don't think you've seen that Danny built since you... Uh, were last here long ago, and uh, it's quiet, and it's the place where the phone buzzes the least. Wow. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Can you believe it? We're podcasting after, I don't know, I was trying to count, add up how many interviews we've done. I think it's like 18 or 20 over really? the years. Really? That's a lot. That's a lot. It's. I remember when you were, the first time you were on with Tom Hanks, the first, you know, it's yeah. it's incredible. We've not. I remember remember when you were pregnant with I think it was the twins. Yes. And there's a picture of me and that I think is at the Smithsonian now with me holding my hand on your belly. It was so sweet. That's when I first came out. I don't think anybody had seen me, sort of in person. I mean, people, not obviously you, friends, but just to kind of be presenting myself in this public way as this pregnant person. It was so kind of funny and exciting and you know i dare i say i was near giselle that day i think right which was horrible <laughs> um but uh yeah and now i have those babies are teenagers i know it's incredible and i actually don't know of a more involved engaged um woman who has held the sanctity of having a child and children in in a more sacred space than you have. I actually saw you become like a different, more flowered, evolved, open human being with, wow. with your first... Wow, what a thing to say. Yeah. Thank you. It's well, true. I, you know, it all really started when I met Danny, and you realize you thought you were so clear about the compass of your life, and then you go, oh, wait. No, there's more. There's more depth. There's there's other things here, um, and that was sort of the the big jumping off point, I think, of my interior evolution as a person. Would you say that that's when the trajectory of your life changed? 
Uh, I would say for sure of my uh, personal life, which of course has that ripple effect on every yes. other aspect of your life. But um, yeah, just this incredible um, sense of really supremely deep fulfillment. Yeah, I can see and feel it in you. So we're doing this interview. First of all, thank you for even thinking of me uh, to do the interview with you. After well, all, I'm always thinking of you, Oprah. That's the truth. <laughs> uh, so I, this came about because Harper's Bazaar is doing you on their cover, which I just saw that cover. Have you seen it? No. How is it? How oh did it turn gosh. out? What is the cover? Oh, my gosh. The cover is you hanging off of a cliff, it looks like. <laughs> you hanging off of a cliff in an evening gown and sneakers, yeah, I think. That sounds about right, yeah. about what we did. That sounds about right. How, how did that happen? I know that their issue, the Harper's Bazaar issue this month is about daring, and so you actually decided you were going to do something daring because you were afraid of heights. That's I what I heard. Of Is that correct? Well, I am afraid of heights, and it's funny because I've always been afraid of heights. My father was very afraid of heights, and it becomes one of these things that you say about yourself, oh, I'm left-handed and yeah. I'm afraid of heights. And yeah. um, about seven years ago, Danny and I had been invited on this hike. Hike is a sophomoric way to term what we were invited on, but I'll just say hike. And I thought to myself, gosh, I'm so afraid of heights. And then I thought, am I still afraid of heights? Because I never put myself in that position. So how do I even know? It's just this thing that I say about myself. Well, I'm happy to uh, confirm for you that I am afraid of heights. <laughs> it was the most harrowing, uh, maybe seven or eight hours of my physical life, and if it had not been for Danny truly lovingly talking me through one foot in front of the other, I don't know what I would have done. Because it really, it's this thing that takes over your whole body. It's not like, oh, that's scary, that looks so high. It's your throat closing, your body just breaking down. I mean, it's a real thing. So yes, I am afraid yeah. of heights. <laughs> Yes, you know, I was with a friend once. We were, we were in Telluride doing hot air ballooning, and Mary Kay was, uh, in for some crazy reason, had said to me, I'm afraid of heights. And I go, oh, it's a hot air balloon. It's not like you're hanging from a string. And in, we got up in the air, and she starts trembling and says, I'm afraid I'm going to jump over. I'm afraid I'm going <gasps> to jump over. And I said, you're not going to jump over because I'm going to knock you out before you jump over. Because <laughs> if you jump over, it's going to upset this, 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 this whole balloon basket. But anyway, that's the first time I, I recognize that it's a real thing. It's yeah, not it's just, oh, thing. I'm afraid of heights, that I could see somebody trembling and really afraid. Yeah. So Danny talked you into it? He talked me into it, and he talked me through it. Um, and so we did uh, live to tell the tale. Unfortunately, and um, and there's a very see. It's one thing to do it, Julia. Period. But to do it in a pinking evening gown, to do it in yes. a series. Well, and I was never, uh, you know, 
of course, they're not going to put me in incredible peril. Uh, and, you know, we did things that were just high enough and sort of just scary enough where I could still smile and throw my dress <laughs> up into the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But besides this cover shoot, what do you consider one of the most daring things you've ever done? Uh, I think, you know, <clears throat> I don't know. It's not, uh, I think probably just believing in myself. Well, you know, I've interviewed Brene Brown many times. She's the author of the best-selling Daring Greatly and the famous TED Talk. Yeah. that has millions, millions of views. And Brene says that daring greatly actually means to have the courage to be vulnerable. So when do you think you are most vulnerable? Does vulnerability come easy for you, or is it something that you push against? Well, it's sort of my job, really, is to be vulnerable almost at all times at work. Yeah. Um, because it's this funny thing where when you do present your performance for whatever it is, the first take or the first yeah. uh, performance of a, a stage play or whatever it is, you, you're kind of, um, all you're waiting for is the response to it. And the response might be uh, positive and, and encouraging and reassuring. Um, and it might also be, okay, well, that was um, terrible. <laughs> and so it really the hard part is the next take or the next performance or the next day to still be able to go into a place of um, exposing your feelings for what you're doing and, and showing what you think is the truth of what you're trying to perform and setting aside the risk of failure. So that's Which probably... you are, you are so good at it. You know, I've known you for so long, and as a friend, it's one of those things that I just sort of not take for granted, but just accept that you are a great actress. But I was just recently watching your new series uh, for Amazon, Homecoming, and your vulnerability just sitting in a chair really makes my eyes water right now your ability to just be so open and um, giving of yourself and of, of that art and when you're just sitting in a chair and <laughs> <laughs> you're just sitting in a chair listening. The things you do when you're listening, I think, are equally as powerful as when you, you actually speak in your work. Well, so I, okay, I mean, I, me I know the amount of my hands are trembling <laughs> with, uh, with joy. Well, and, you know, let me tell you something, because, you know, it's one of those funny things where, as actors, we get um, appreciated on these singular levels. You know, yeah. you get handed an award for something that really 117 people put together. And right. I will say that in Homecoming, um, enough cannot be said about what I accomplished without saying Stefan James because he was amazing to work with. He is just 
a terrific human being. He's so professional. He's so ready. And to just sit and really listen to him and just take in what he was offering me at all times was, um, you know, I was really halfway there. I just had to really tune in to this young man and what he was bringing to his performance. Wow. He's terrific. Yeah, you both you both are incredible. So let me just say, what was it about the series, uh, Homecoming, that drew you to this part, this role of Heidi? Were you a fan of the podcast it's based on? I had heard the podcast before it came out. Um, my agent had sent it to me, and I listened to it and got so sucked into it. I was like, "What? Wait, what?" You know, they they just, each one of them ends on these incredible, and it was very well done. I thought the, the performances were great, and just even, like, the sound production was amazing. And and uh, a fair amount of time went by, and then I was told that they were going to do it as, a, as some kind of a series, uh, which intrigued me. And then the most intriguing element of all was when they said, Sam Esmail, who wanted to talk Mr. to me Robot. about it. He, he is Mr. Robot. He is um, really the... And made the unusual move to write and direct every episode himself. Yes. Well, at my yeah. great urging, because I oh, okay. feel like where I come from in film and theater, you know, there is, there is only one captain. There's only one director. And... I had sort of um, experienced television through Danny, who had done a series for Amazon called The Last Tycoon, which was created by Billy Ray, this incredible writer-director who Danny and I had both worked for in the past. And um, they had different directors almost every week. And Matt Bomer, who's a friend who's in that show, and Lily Collins, and just sort of hearing a little smattering of not criticism, but just what that takes to gear up each episode with this new person and everybody getting up to speed and everybody understanding everybody. And I just thought, wow, that seems like a lot of work. And for me, the idea of having one person's vision bring it all together because this is a very complicated story and there's so many it's kind of um it's very insidious in a way you know it's it's like something that's coursing underneath and that sort of intricate building I felt needed one set of hands really and so I had said to Sam the first time that he and I spoke and I just said I I would really want you to do all these episodes and he was just sort of like <laughs> oh Gulp. well uh, <laughs> I think well for sure do the first one it's <laughs> like and then all the yeah. ones after that he goes oh well because uh, he's super busy with Mr. Robot and he was about to get married and he had all these things going on and and he said well let me think about it and he came back a few weeks later and said that the people at Mr. Robot had graciously created a space for him to be able to do this so that we could do it together in the way that that we both felt would be the most creative and fun and um, he's just a spectacular uh, creative individual 
I, I can't imagine having done this with any. He's like this happy genius. Yeah. You know, like I heard the way he's known Mike, for having a very strong, unique vision. So he's, he's, working with a happy genius makes you well, happy too, right? You know how Mike Nichols, you know how, right? Oh, always happy. Mike always. And to always. work for him and to be his friend, you know, he's always happy. Uh, he's just always to say so his name. Positive. It makes you smile. Yes. Yeah. And you just loved being around him. And, uh, you know, I never, unlike you, remember that time we had that meeting in his, in his yes. apartment? Yes. Yes. I mean, you, me, and you know that's who. That's still a great idea. Uh, it's a great yeah. idea. Uh, talking about uh, doing a project together, but just the idea of working with him. I, I mean, I, lo I love working around people who are stimulating because it makes you more stimulated. And he just always found so much joy. I mean, I feel like my experience with him, I saw him as a person who was living his dreams and perfectly aware of it at all times. And yeah. that is what I strive for. I mean, I think he would sit next to Diane at dinner and think, this is the woman of my dreams. Look at her. You know, and when he'd be <laughs> at work, this is the place of my dreams to be with these creative people making this project. And so I feel that Sam has that same attitude about going to work and being at work and, and asking everyone to do their best and then a little bit more than that every single time and you know i'm going to write that down living living the dream and being aware of it at all times you know just just this morning i was sitting out on the back balcony porch having breakfast with stedman you know just some boiled eggs and some avocado from the trees and we were just and stedman just said we're making dreams babe we're making dreams and memories right here i mean isn't this a moment and we're literally just looking out at the backyard but I just thought, yeah, and it's so good that you actually recognize that that's what's happening right now. And it's so nice when somebody says it out loud because it's almost like you don't want to pop the bubble by saying it out loud. Yeah. I love that Stedman just said it because then you're able to just fully be saturated in it. And yeah, especially when you're working and you can recognize that because it, it is – it's not the um, – the effort that you want people to see. You want them to see that it almost is effortless and that all that effort yeah. takes place when no one's looking, you know? Um, yeah. and it was That's not, what I was uh, thinking when I was watching you in the series, too, the effortlessness of it all. It's just, I mean, that comes from actually being in a good space within yourself, don't you think? I think it does, and I think that for me, it was a lot to ask of my family to take this job because mm -hmm. it was a longer period of time than I normally work and it required a lot of homework on my part so just a lot of dialogue to learn every day every day more and more and more and more and it was relentless in that pursuit and I felt so supported by Danny in a way that was um, absolutely my greatest inspiration I thought if I'm gonna you know leave all of this in his hands to take care of. I better come home with a triumph, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> with, you know, just to come home without feeling like I can't say, what a great day, because I think that happens too, where you go off and you work and someone 
is home and doing the 10,000 things that it takes to keep a home going, plus their own workload, and to feel that you're allowed to come home and say, I had a great day, and not feel that you should somehow discount your experience because you feel guilty. I never felt that Did way. Did it take you a while to get here? Because, I mean, I know you have a new film coming out in December, so that took time. Homecoming took time. It looks like you're, you're working more than you did for a period. It was just a, it was, it's chance. It was just chance okay. that it all kind of happened. And in a way, I was um, a little concerned to have these jobs so close together. And now that they're behind me, it was perfect because I just feel like I did a lot of work in this one enormous period of time. And now... I finished as summer began, and we had this beautiful family summer, and the kids are getting ready to go back to school, and I'll be in the carpool line. <laughs> okay. And when you were doing this role at, for Ben is Back, I hear you play a mother dealing with her son's drug addiction, who's played by Lucas Hedges. He was, he was the kid who was nominated for the Academy Award, right, yes. for his role in Manchester by the Sea. Manchester by the Sea, yeah. So... Was it difficult for you dealing with such a heart-wrenching issue for so many parents? You know, drugs are their biggest fear. Or did you think, I'll never have to go to this space for my own life? Well, for me, the thing that I really liked about this character and this story, the story is, um, I mean, unfortunately, this is lived out every day, every every hour of every day by a family, yep. by a parent, by a child, all over the world. And especially in our country, the way we mismanage it is, uh, you know, it's one of those rabbit holes that once you go down into it, you just think, wow, how do people find their way through this? Um, and it takes place in 24 hours. And I just feel like this particular mother is in one of those situations that I did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, Shopify.com slash podcast free. Shopify.com slash podcast free.
Are you ready to unlock your inner greatness? If so, make sure to listen to my podcast, The School of Greatness, hosted by me, Lewis Howes. Join me as I sit down with world-class performers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to uncover their secrets to success with new episodes every single week. Whether you're striving for personal growth, business mastery, or simply seeking inspiration, The School of Greatness has something for you. And you can find it on SiriusXM, Pandora, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe and follow to the show so you never miss an episode and start your journey to greatness today. I know many parents, many people find themselves in where it's that constant reevaluation of what is the right thing to do right now for this person. Is it to love them and believe them and hold them close? Is it to not believe them? Is it to be hard on them? Is it to be easy on them? And it's this constant shift and change of knowing the best thing to do to support, in this instance, her her son, her oldest child. So it was uh, definitely one of those situations that at all times just trying to manage the idea of her her intention and what's the best thing to do. It, I mean, it was so incredible the story and so interesting to research the story and to read things and hear things and you know I mean that's where really the internet is such a great source of of people's sharing where you find all these forums and you find all these these articles and things of people that have gone through this and Lucas did you know interesting thing for Lucas to play my son is that his father wrote and directed this film and so here I was between these two men and yeah. trying to form my individual relationships with each of them. Um, and Lucas and I fell into a very immediate rapport and had a very close relationship and a shorthand and an understanding of each other and a way to support each other that I think was ultimately so invaluable. He came and stayed with us for a while. He spent Thanksgiving with us um, got to know Danny and the kids really well all before we started shooting, um, which I felt was important for my kids to know who I was going off to pretend to be their mother. And Oh, interesting. Well, Henry had said to me, um, so, Mom, why in movies when you go play somebody's mom, why why is it always a boy? (laughs) And it had never occurred to me. Because, of course, wonder. Yeah. I ha- you know, wonder, yes. I, ha- I have a daughter. It's mainly the story about the son. And in Ben is Back, I have other kids, but it's mainly the story about the about boy. the son. And I said, well, I, I don't know. I said, but, you know, you know what? Lucas, we're going to have Lucas come over, and you guys are going to meet him. And Lucas came over, Catherine Newton, beautiful Catherine Newton. She plays my older daughter. She came, and I would just send them and my kids down to the beach. Go for a swim. And I'll see you guys in an hour, and I'll have lunch ready. And so that brings me was, to what do those what do your children think of you as Julia Roberts, the actress? Because you have been such a hands-on, you know, mother in their lives, in every aspect of their lives. I've witnessed it for myself. So when they finally, do you know? Do you remember when they finally first or realize when they first realized that you were Julia Roberts, America's beloved sweetheart actress i don't Academy think they Award ever winner. will 
have a true sense of that because just like me, my sense of myself comes so far before the kind of work sense that people have of me. And, of course, for them, I'm just their mom, as loving and probably annoying as every other mom, long before they even realize what I do for work. Um, so, I mean, I really can't know the full grasp that they have. I mean, I think I told you once when it was this kind of thing, when they were starting to kind of figure it out, and it was like, so you're famous. You're famous? <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, I think a lot of people probably, you know, might have seen a movie that I'm in or might know who I am. And, huh. And then maybe an hour goes by. And Are you more famous than Taylor Swift? <laughs> so it's like trying to, you know, in their mind, figure the measurement for what does this mean. And I think it ultimately it's like, okay, I, I don't really know what it all means. We're just going to keep moving on the way we've been going. So what of, their, what of your movies have they seen other than Wonder? Uh, they have seen not much. They've seen Hook. They've seen uh -huh. um, Ant Bully, which is animated. Charlotte's Web, which was, um, I yeah. was a boy. Um, oh, and you were in Charlotte's Web, too? Uh, yep. Not a lot of things. I That's mean, it. We did not a lot of things. We did start watching, um, I don't know why we, oh, The Mexican, I think, was on TV, and we were looking for something to watch, and so we stopped just nostalgically, Danny and I were like, oh, God, you know, I think it was just starting, and it was not long into it that Henry goes, um, I don't think I like that, you know, people are, crazy things are going on, and it was like, yeah, yep. this is bad parenting right now, we just need to, to come off of this, but. It's, um, Do you imagine a day where you all sit down as a family and watch Pretty Woman? Um, no. I imagine a day no. that we all sit down and maybe watch My Best Friend's Wedding. Okay. Or uh, Notting Still Hill. Magnolias. Still Magnolias. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, yes. We could do that. You but could do that. But it's also funny for me to say, hey, guys, you know what we should watch tonight? <laughs> <laughs> A movie with mom in it. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, so do you believe that um, your unconditional love will be enough to carry your children into the world that we live in today? Well, anybody's. I mean... Yeah. It is a, I mean, remember when we were kids and, you know, people would say, it's a big bad world out there, you got to be careful, you know, and now it's like it really is a big bad world out there. And I think if I can just be part of a family that our love and our closeness keep the five of us in a place of being undaunted by the bleakness that you have to keep moving forward and love and kindness and and hope that if we can keep that engine of the five of us going then that will be the great accomplishment of our family love 
because I think that has to be the daily goal. Yep. That has to be the daily goal that you all have sort of as a family mission, right? Is there an unspoken family mission or vision that you all have for your family? Well, you know, I think for Danny and I, especially because now it's like being a parent in a world that wasn't our world when we were their age, it's different than when I might have said to my mom, like, oh, mom, you don't know what it's like to be a teenager today. And even though probably didn't, she probably did. But Danny and I... Because the world wasn't that much different. Yeah. Yeah. So... We really don't know what it's like to be a teenager today. We really don't. So no, we don't. It's, it's, you know, you try to be open. You try. I mean, sometimes I'll just go to them and say, I keep saying no to so many things to the point where I don't know why I'm saying no except to say no except because I don't really know what they're talking about. And so sometimes I just say to them, I'm going to say no and I'm going to look into it because I don't even know what we're talking about. So do they have phones yet? Uh, Finn and Hazel have phones. Okay. Henry's 11. And, okay, so Henry's 11, so no. So how, how, what was the age they were allowed to have phones? Well, there was a school kind of requirement about phones and about having, um, you know, these devices to be able to communicate with teachers in a way and access schedules in a way that I wasn't really so so you all didn't have to so that got answered for you I know for a lot of parents I know somebody right now going through their daughter's turning 12 and they're like we want to hold on to 13 I don't know if the and and you know since I don't have this as an issue I don't know if the the age number is a thing or the maturity level of the child is what should be taken into and also I was saying to these other uh, uh, friends that when you hold out so long, then your child becomes completely ostracized because your child is the one child that doesn't have a, a phone. Yeah. Well, you know, there are times where, you know, Hazel and I will be talking about an issue of a 21st century teenager, and she'll say, but Mom, I, I don't know why this isn't allowed when I know that you trust me and that I am trustworthy. And I say, it is not a matter of trust within you, within this household. It's about everybody else out there. It's like driving a car. You know, you can be an exemplary driver, but it's about everybody else driving a car. And I feel like it's the same with, you know, social media and phones and and all these things. it just becomes very, as long, it just has to be a constant and open conversation. And Okay, so here's the thing. How do you manage, you know, uh, I just, you know, I lived in the tabloid, Stedman and I, for so many years, and it was hard on his family members and some of my family members. I couldn't imagine if we had children and every other week, you know, there's some story about him leaving me, me getting dumped, me leaving him. I mean, all the time. And I know you have experienced the same thing. Are you all able to keep that away from your kids? I mean, if I see again that, you know, I've, I think I've seen 97 times that you, you and Danny Motor are splitting. 
Are you able to keep that from your kids? Um, for the most part, I mean, sometimes we are in the grocery store, and I won't even know that something is out, and we'll all be standing there like, oh, oh. that's uncomfortable. <laughs> this is really yeah. uncomfortable. But it's one of those things that it still can hurt my feelings only because I'm so proud of my marriage. I'm so proud of how much fun we have and how much joy we put into it. And, you know, we just celebrated being married for 16 years this 4th of July. And there's just so much happiness wrapped up in what we have found together that it's such an insult to that when they just put us through the, you know, the relationship mill of he's leaving me, he's dumped me, he's found somebody else, or, you know, the, I, what I like is when they write the $150 million divorce, and then a week later, a different tabloid says, yeah. $275 million divorce. I'm like, well, somebody got a paycheck in the last week. This is getting <laughs> good, you know. Um, yeah. but, and they do, I mean, Hazel's asked me a couple of things, uh, and what it feels like, and it's, it's an interesting conversation to have with, with someone who only has love for you and only has the best interests of their parents at heart and says, what is So what have you like? told them? What, what have you told them? What do you actually say to them? Like, people make up stories? Um, yeah, that it's, it's this is... uh, I mean, for the most part, in my experience of those stories, it, they are 98.9% fictitious. So names are yeah. right. Maybe some of the places are right. Um, but that it's kind of this, uh, I guess I've likened it to when they come home from school, how was your day? And the first story you tell is a story of something negative that happened. And that grabs the attention and the interest of your mind. And I yeah. feel like these things are the same thing. They're the negative concepts of people's relationships and lives and it's sort of a sport a very unkind sport and um you know people see it as a type of folly and the interests of people's feelings are beside the point yeah well i know it was so, so hurtful to me for so many years i i can't even I don't even know when I actually got over it. Maya used to say to me all the time, you're not in it, you're not in it, that the person who sits down to write the story isn't even thinking about you, your heart, your feelings. They don't know you. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with, you know, what can sell. Even knowing that, it still was hurtful to me. And you're so right that there would be one kernel of truth. I remember there was this story about uh, supposedly Stephen and I had had this big brawl uh, big fight and he left me and I'd stormed off, blah, 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 in my father's barbershop in Nashville. And the only thing that was true was that I was in my father's barbershop in Nashville. Right. Yep. You know? So. Yeah, it's, it's so uh, it's, funny the way the, the world works, that, that that does still exist. I mean, it's just incredible to so me. So Stedman and I going to visit my father at his barbershop in Nashville, obviously not a good enough story, but yeah so i i i i empathize and you know offer you my you know highest regards for the way you've managed to handle it cuz 
it's not pleasant and certainly well, not so much of it is easy with children. Learning just to put your energy someplace else. I mean, I really, I, I, don't, I don't like it brought to my attention. My friends would never say, oh, my God, I was in the grocery this morning and saw, you know, yeah. blah, 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 headline. They would just never do that because I don't need it in my, my orbit. Yeah, but I love what you said earlier about how proud you are of your marriage and how proud you are of what you've been able to create with your family. And, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking, now that could be, that would be worthy of a story every week because that's really what people want to know is how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you have the inner workings of your, your life and your family with the fame and attention that you, you obviously earned and managed to stay so effortlessly real. That's a story worth hearing. But would people want to hear that? I think, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, sitting at dinner with you, know, with you and Gail and Diane and, you know, yeah, I would, you yeah. know, but I just don't think it holds, <clears throat> you know, there's too much, there's too much content, first of all. There's just too much truth and weight and, and content of that kind of a conversation as opposed to, you know, the, the kind of cotton candy, weightless, pointless, you know, destruction, breakup, I mean, the yeah. thing is, you know, it is, Danny Motor, you know what, and I, all the, yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, you were mentioning Danny Motor, so I have to stop. Well, for because Danny Motor. I, the thing about it is, is that he is, he is a grown-up man who has married someone that he has never, at any moment, gotten frustrated with me for being who I am in the world. Because it's not like I can control it. And right. so anything that happens happens to us. It doesn't happen to him, which I don't know how. I don't know how he, I mean, now, you know, we're kind of the old married couple. We really don't get picked on by the tabloids that much. But it's, um, you know, back in the day when we did, he just had so much um, depth to who he was, he was so sure of who he was that to be, you know, he just never got caught up in that frustration and that was a great lesson to me and really quelled my frustration yeah. and my acknowledgement of it at all where we just... Means you chose well, means you yeah. chose well. You know, I, you know we, we watched you go through your, you know, you know, various relationships. And then when that finally landed, I mean, the moment I saw Danny Motor, I knew. I just, and, and you know, we always have to say Danny Motor. Danny <laughs> Motor. What is the number one quality you've taught your children that you can see they've learned? Um, I think, I think we have really taught them that they are safe, that they're in a safe space in this family, and we really do share and talk about things, and that the truth is really 
ultimate thing you can accomplish in sharing and learning and growing as a person is just being really honest, honest about what you know, honest about what you don't know, and and truthful at all times. And I think that they really, all three of them have really beautiful characters and compassion and empathy. And I think Danny and I both are very clear about the fact that while we are their parents, um, the five of us are all teaching each other things all the time. It's not just the one-way street from the grown-up to the youngers. It's it's really, I mean, sometimes each one of them have done things or said things or observed things and shared it where I just think, wow, where was I? I did not even see this happening. It's so illuminating and just the amount of wonder that kind of surrounds a young mind that's shaping and that's constantly sort of tabulating the world around them. It's really fascinating to be a part of. Well, well done to you and mm. Danny Motor mm. and the raising of those beautiful children. Well done. Because, you know, that doesn't happen by itself. It doesn't. They get to be those kind of people because they ha that is reflected to them. As, 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 as little people in the world. And I've seen you do it. I've seen you do it. I remember coming when you were, um, I, you were in Chicago, you'd done the show, and then I came back to the hotel, and there in the middle <laughs> of the Four Seasons or Rich Carlton or wherever it was, there was this big sheet tent where the kids had made. Remember mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. And there's, and I just, um, I mean, I stood back and watched that because I just thought, there's not a moment where they are in your presence where they don't know that they are also important, no matter what else is going on in the world. And, you know, having been with so many girls at my school and, you know, having about 20 of them now as regular daughter girls who come to the house and are here all the time and Thanksgiving dinners and stuff, um, I know that instilling a sense of worthiness is the most important thing you can give to your children. Them growing up feeling seen, heard, believed, valued, safe, as you say. That, that's the gift. And that's because you and Danny were able to do that. Well, and we all want to feel that way. That's yep, the, that's what everybody that, wants. You know, it's, it's like I, I remember saying to a girlfriend one time, it's like, I don't know why we hold our children to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. I don't want to eat broccoli every day. I just don't. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I don't want to always, you know, be left with an hour of sort of quiet time in a book. Like, why do I think that they want to do that every day? And so I think having those sort of realizations that we really – we all want the same things. We want to, as you say, be seen. We want to be heard. We want to feel that we're loved. We want to feel that we're useful in this place that we live with these other people. Um, it's so important that we all have a mission. And you know what I know? I know, this is what I know for sure. The world is screwed up in direct proportion to how people don't feel that. All the craziness that we see that's being shown to us in every area of our society is because somebody didn't get that. It gets so it gets so hard to understand sometimes. 
It gets so yeah. hard to understand. When I think about the things that keep me awake at night and that I'm scared of, I think, how is this even part of our humanity that these are the kinds of things that we're scared of? Here comes Finn Motor. Hi, babe. How are you? I'm talking to Oprah. Hi, Finn Motor. Hi, she Finn. She said, that's awesome. She said, hi, Finn Motor. <laughs> our conversation will continue in the next episode. You can listen by downloading part two. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 